Hi everyone, welcome to Potluck Food Talks. Today we're going to talk about German cuisine. Of our motherland, well my motherland, a little bit your motherland also. Yeah, yeah my fatherland. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a very underappreciated cuisine. I mean, not just around the world, but also inside of Germany. I feel like a lot of people have kind of lost what German food really is, you know? I mean, like everybody knows the like really basic stuff like sausages and whatnot, but they forget that it's actually a very, you know, just as much of a complex food culture as, you know, other food cultures around the world. Yeah, it doesn't has the reputation at all that you will find in, in countries like France, Italy or Spain. Not by far, you know, or even I would say even the other German countries like Austria and Swiss have a much better reputation when it comes to food. No, definitely. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I would have to say that, you know, I mean, like obviously Germany is, is very regional. Also, the north is very different to the south. But in general, South Germany is a bit better known for good cooking, you know? Yeah. Like, like also the the great chefs from Germany are from that region, I would say, like at least Witzigmann and Wolfhard, you know, who are like, like the godfathers of German cuisine. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, like, what's German food like for you? If you think of German food, what do you think of? You know, my father is German and I was raised with very German things at home. Like, for instance, we, we were living in Venezuela, but we wouldn't eat arepas or Venezuelan food for breakfast. We would have like mother dough bread, like a sauerteig board with liverwurst, which is basically the German liver pate, we would use to snack maybe with some radishes or mustard or jerkins, you know, this kind of like home canapes. And that's pretty German for me. One of my, my super deep childhood memories is a Kartoffelpuffer which is basically grated potatoes that you turn into sort of like a pancake yeah. with apple puree. And for me, that's also super German. It's super German. Yeah, I mean, like Kartoffelpuffer is a great example because it's, I don't think there's a lot of countries where you eat potatoes sweet. And like for me, you know, like a sweet potato cake with cinnamon and apple compote, I don't think there's anywhere else that I've seen that sort of thing. It's really, really authentically German, I would say. And like also what you say, you know, German Bread is a you you know is part of the UNESCO World Heritage. Yeah, I, I know it's the most diverse country when it comes to bread, sausages, and beer. Yeah, yeah, and like those sorts of things, they're they're really held in high regards. Like these crafts. If you go into a bakery, you know everybody knows what good bread should be like. You know they have like very very specific standards, or anyway they should and they used to. We had a bit of a dip, and now bakeries are getting much better again. But especially in whole wheat, like there's so much more bread that is whole wheat with whole seeds and ancient grains like dinkel, which is uh, spelt, and and those sorts of things. Yeah, also. Which is like it's some category of bread. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, like also, like you were saying, butchery, you know, like if you go into a good butcher shop in Germany, everything's made in house and you just have like a huge variety of sausages, both like dried and fresh and like different hams, huge selection of meat, but also things like just butchery made things. Like there's a thing in Germany called sausage salad, Wurstsalat. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or Fleischsalat, you know, which is like sausages cut up into strips and like mixed into a sort of like creamy salad. And when it's done like nicely, it's really nice, but it's like really strange, but really nice at the same time. Yeah, I have super nice memories of going to breweries in the South, in Stuttgart, 
today you have like all this hype around microbreweries, but this is like the same thing, just like it has always been there. It's something like it's probably a couple of hundred years old and they all have the same menu. The beer is it's like industrial beer. There's nothing exciting about it, like, like in the way you will find like in microbreweries. But then you have all this variation of potato salads with different forms of doing it. Like some are more creamy and with mayo, others are not at all. They're just with uh, roasted butter and some vegetables. Yeah, I love this like brewery food culture. I really, really love it, you know, especially in like the South, you know, like Bavaria and Hessen and Franken, you know, areas that are close to the Alps and like close to France. I think it's amazing, like especially in summer, like people sitting outside in the garden underneath the trees in the fresh air, drinking beer from a local brewery and just eating like really good, simple, hearty food. Now, potato salad is a really good subject because there's like really like what I would consider like normal potato salads in Germany, like mayonnaise based. But there's like a couple of ways of making potato salads that are really cool. I mean, you know, the recipe of using beef stock for making the dressing of potato salad. Yeah, I think I saw that in a Schubert cookbook. Yeah, that's really cool. It's super cool. Like you pour warm beef broth cut with vinegar onto recently boiled and peeled potatoes and you let it kind of macerate and the beef stock will thicken slightly and glaze the potatoes and and form like a clear dressing making it like really savory really meaty i actually did that or something really similar just two days ago for new year's eve but it was not a potato salad but it was like that kind of technique just because it was like well it was what i had at hand at, at the moment yeah i would say my favorite super ultra german dish would be Weisbewurst with sweet mustard. Yeah. Like this white sausage that you usually get in its own china that is this dish where it comes with its boiling water and then you usually peel it like with, with your fork and spoon or whatever and you eat it with, with a sweet mustard. And this sausage... For me, it has a, such a fine flavor and it has like this lemony quality to it. I love it. That's that's what, one of my favorite things. Yeah, that's really cool, actually. I never thought of it having like a lemony aspect, but that's really interesting. It's like, yeah, I think like the mustard and stuff, like the flavor profile in general is really unique. I mean, mustard in general, like in Germany, it's like you go to a, like, for example, in the, in the UK, you go to the supermarket and you find English mustard. It's one type of mustard, right? English mustard. And then you get French mustard like Dijon. That's it. Here in Germany, you go to... A, like a normal supermarket and you find like five, six different types of German mustard, different spice levels, you know, some are really mild, some are really extremely spicy, almost like wasabi. Yeah. And then some are, you know, whole grain, fermented whole, or like, and some are sweet, you know, and this is super, super nice. Actually, I prefer like the Dijon style, but spicy German mustard. I think it's much better than, than Dijon mustard itself, or at least it's, uh, you're so used to see Dijon mustard all over the this is something different and it's a perfect replacement and you will get like a, a different note to it totally but I was saying the lemony quality to the sausage not to the mustard yeah yeah to the vice was yeah yeah yeah, then you have all this universe of the English translation is dumpling, but it's like its own thing. It's like this dough balls <laughs> of different things. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's really highly regional also. You know, these dumplings, either you call them knödel or you call them klöße, but they're usually always round and it's like a general 
term for several like very different, for example, Kartoffelklöße, which are potato dumplings. And even in that region, there's like completely different ones. And again, there's techniques that are very, very interesting, like from a chef's point of view. For example, the half and half dumpling, you know, where you make the dumpling dough out of half a part of boiled potatoes and half a part of raw potatoes ah yeah yeah i've seen that yeah and it's actually fairly difficult to pull off properly but if you do it right you have some boiled potatoes that you pass through kind of like you would with gnocchi and then you take raw potatoes and finely grate them and then you press the water out and mix the raw potatoes into the cooked potatoes but then the water you let settle and you let the starch settle at the bottom and then you pour the water away and you use the starch of the potatoes to bind the dough of the dumplings. So then what you get is, you know, because otherwise if you would just make a potato dough, you'd get something like a gnocchi. But because you use the starch, you get a much more sort of bouncy, elastic texture. And I like for me, that's super interesting and super delicious. Yeah, all this culture of game, which is also super cool, like cooking with deer, more like in the south. I, I always imagine these dishes that go with some kind of knödel or klose, some boiled red cabbage, and it's all sauce. So that, that's like a super, you know, straightforward German dish for me. Yeah, definitely. But like, for example, the red cabbage, like for me, is also really iconically German. It's like braised red cabbage, but like the way that you make it is also very interesting because it's kind of like sweet and sour you know yeah yeah i see like doing all kind of things to that cabbage like putting cloves cinnamon molasses uh, sugars whatever yeah, yeah it's it's a yeah definitely done I, properly it's super nice i sometimes i like to have, take an apple and like grate it into the mix when i'm cooking it yeah and for example, my dad, he is very proud of his hotcoal recipe and he marinates it for two days before he cooks it. Like, so he shreds the cabbage raw and then he marinates it with red wine and bay leaf and like, like you say, cloves and stuff like that. Then he marinates it for two days and then only he starts cooking it down slowly. It's super delicious. Yeah, the profile direction is like kind of like a glue wine, like red wine and spices. You want to bring it to, to, to that direction somehow? Yeah, definitely. But you know, like uh, a lot of German cooking, I kind of like for people who really like have no idea what German like countryside food is like, I, I for me, it's like very similar to some of like northern French cooking, like just really local ingredient driven rustic country cooking. Like one of my favorite dishes that's also from the area, very traditional in the area where my family's from is Tafelspitz. Is it Austrian or, or German? I mean, for me, it's German because like for me in the Frankfurt area, like in Hessen, that's like the, the traditional dish there, the most traditional. It's like a boiled piece of beef, right? Like in a very strong consomme and it's cooked inside of it with some vegetables, right? Something like that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so a lot of the times it's kind of like a pot of feu a little bit, you know? You take a beef brisket and you, like you don't roast it, you don't sear it and you pack it into a pot with whole vegetables, you know? Uh, carrot, celery, leek or whatever. And then you just poach it really, really gently until the meat is super tender. And then you take the meat out, you slice it thinly and then often you serve it with the broth and some of the cooked vegetables that we're poaching in the beef broth and it's really delicate and really delicious you often also eat it with a side of a horseradish sauce raw horseradish grated mixed with a little bit of like sour cream and you know it's super nice you know and it's not something that people usually think of when they think of german cooking in general i think these like consomme dishes they're actually really really german and austrian like fladle 
You know, it's, it's a fladle are like noodles that are made from savory pancakes, basically. You make these like savory pancakes, roll them up finely. Ah, yeah. And cut them really thinly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get them served in a similar dish, in like these soup dishes that you get the the white sausage in also with the lions on the side. Yeah, that's super German. Yeah, these like old royal dishes. And yeah, I mean, these like really intense broths, like for me, are also really, really German. Yeah, this completely transports me to like some Prussian palace in Brandenburg. Totally. You also have all this universe of German pastas. You just mentioned this like strips of like crepes kind of. But you also have a spätzle. I would say it's the most iconic German pasta. And how, how would you describe it? It's like a dirty pasta, you know, shape-wise. Well, it depends how you make it, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can find the beauty in their imperfection, I think. Absolutely. But these are like drops of pasta dough that are randomly fall into the water with, with just organic shapes, right? Like, how would you describe it? Well, yeah, kind of. You know, yeah, you kind of actually. Like, so I for me, there's like two different types of making them, you know? There's like the type that you describe, and then there's a type where you kind of cut them but like it's interesting because the spätzle dough is very liquid so it's it's a very simple dough actually but it is very liquid like it's not really a dough it's like a paste right so you wouldn't be able to roll it you wouldn't be able to shape it nothing like that and it's famously made by beating the dough with your flat hand so you kind of hit the dough and pull it and while pulling your hand back um, you pull the dough also because it sticks to your hand and you do that and like that you stretch the gluten and also you introduce air into the dough you're I remember once in, in this restaurant where we worked, where the chef came to make us a demo on how to do exactly that. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, you put your hand inside and you have to do it like this. How would you describe the zao? Basically, he was calling the dough a dirty pig while he was spanking it. <laughs> that guy was a beast. Huh? I mean, he could really cook. You have to give him that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you like traditionally... You're meant to beat the dough until it bubbles by itself. And that takes quite a lot of effort. But that's really only to build the gluten. And then, so there's the way to do it, like you described it, where you, for example, you put it in like a potato press, like a potato ricer, and then you press it through the holes into a boiling pot of water, well, like simmering pot of water. And that's kind of like the easy way to do it. But most normal way is that you take a pot of water, you fill it up to the very brim, to the very top, and you get it to like a simmering quality. And then you take a, a wooden board and you put put this like wet dough on the wooden board and you spread it flat onto this wooden board and then you dip the very end of the board into the water with a spatula or knife that you wet in the hot water you go to the edge of the dough and you very very thinly start shaving the dough into the water kind of cutting the dough and because of the hot water you're always like keeping your spatula or your knife wet and you're kind of like pushing the dough back so you have like a very very thin layer on the front and as you need you move more dough into the front it's kind of like kind of similar to a Chinese method where they shave the noodles into the water you know and if you can do it well you get these very thin slightly irregular strips of noodles and yeah that, those are basically spätzle and what is your favorite thing to eat spätzle with honestly goulash is a very good thing to have with spätzle yeah i would say definitely on one side i would say käse spätzle 
which literally just means cheese spätzle, which is an alpine speciality of these spätzle noodles with caramelized onions and gratinated with mountain cheese. Mountain cheese literally is called mountain cheese. It's a specific type of alpine cheese that's made in, in caves in, in the Alps. And it, it's very like salty, savory-ish. That's really nice. But yeah, I mean like spätzle together with a goulash, like a meat-based stew. It's perfect for me, like so tasty. And also goulash, this is another thing that, well, the father-in-law of my father was Hungarian. So goulash was also among the key recipes for my dad. But for me, goulash is something German as well. I mean, Hungary and Austria were the same country at some moment, German speaking. So, and this is also something you will find in any German restaurant quite commonly all over Germany. Yeah. And it's also a, such a simple thing to cook. You know, for, for me, goulash is basically lots of onions and beef and just letting it cook with some very high quality paprika, not much more. Yeah, exactly. The one that you're describing is, is actually a very interesting one, which we call Segedina goulash with, like you say, like a really high quality paprika and often the addition of sauerkraut, which we actually haven't talked about, you know, the fermented cabbage, the shukrut. Yeah, which is pro probably one of the most iconic German recipes, sauerkraut, of course. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's eaten with so many things now. And yeah, I mean, that's super, super delicious. And it's like you, earlier you mentioned the, the game culture, you know, here in Germany we have, Germany is or used to be, but still is largely covered by forests. And um, we have a lot of game in this country, mainly deer, uh, so venison and wild boar. And apart from beef, those are also things that people cook like goulash quite a lot. And yeah, it's uh, it's super nice for me. Also, it's like, uh, yeah, sure, I think like originally it's Hungarian, but for, for me, it's quintessential goulash. It's such a comfort food, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another super cool German dish for me, it's Kaiserschmann. Yes. Which... It's kind of like, uh, I would describe it, kind of like a pancake souffle. That's exactly how I would describe it, yeah. It's like a pancake souffle and you and you break it. Uh, you cook it in the pan, uh, you put like the whole pan to the oven and then you break it with, with like a fork and spoon, right? So like, like, like this irregular pancake pieces uh, uh, in your pan and then you put whatever on top like some fruits or some ice cream or whatever you, you want to eat it with well 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 let's not get ahead of ourselves <laughs> you can't put anything <laughs> on top <laughs> yeah so I mean this is like this is actually one of the dishes where you can definitely say that's definitely Austrian you know it's it's very very Austrian Kaiser Schmann Kaiser Kaiser's like the emperor yes and Schmann is Schmarrn is several things. So Schmarrn on one side is like a, a sour cream, but that has nothing to do with it. Schmarrn is something that is a term that often gets used in the Austrian slang for nonsense. And so the story is that the royal chef was supposed to come out with a new dessert for the emperor and he was going to make this like pancake souffle, but he, he fucked it up while flipping it or something. But so he decided to improvise and he decided to rip the whole thing up into small pieces and then put it back into the oven with a little bit of butter and stuff so the pieces would crisp up a bit and then serve it. And when he served it to the emperor, supposedly the emperor looked at it and said, was denn das für ein Schmarrn? Yeah, which means what kind of nonsense is this? This ripped up <laughs> pancake. But he ended up really liking it. So, and now it's a, it's a classic of Austrian cuisine. Yeah. Yeah. It's a super nice dessert. Yeah. And it's original, you know, because yeah, it's like a broken 
souffle. Yeah, and it sounds it sounds very like simple. It's kind of like oh, you make a packet, you rip it up, but it's actually not that easy because like if you had a really properly made Kaiserschmarrn, you realize that there's like quite a lot to it, and then you try to make it at home, and it's definitely it's kind of like a like a tortilla. You have to get the right technique and you have to get the right consistency. It's very simple, but you have to kind of nail it. Yeah. For me, my my two favorite German products are strawberries and white asparagus. Strawberries, there is this thing with strawberries because they, they're original from America, but the original American strawberries have nothing to do with German strawberries. They got like, with whatever, with, with uh, breeding techniques and this kind of thing, they, they got this variety that... that Man, when it's in season, it's something so nice and so special. I haven't have anything similar or nowhere else. Yeah, absolutely. I can t totally agree with you. Actually, I've, I haven't really thought about that, but now that I'm thinking about it, you're totally right. They are really exceptionally delicious. The only like place that I had like similar strawberries was in Denmark, and um, with similar climate. But I mean, yeah, in Denmark, you know, it's a it's a seasonal delicacy also. But yeah, white asparagus also very interesting. There's not really anywhere else but like Germany and France that white asparagus is actually a thing. Everywhere around the world that I go, everybody's crazy about green asparagus. No, here, here, us country as well. But here they're usually eaten, preserved, like canned. Exactly. It's like, why? But the, <laughs> and the, they're, they're like a delicacy and everything. But I mean, the German asparagus from here are the best. The Belitz spargel, they're fucking amazing. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful thing because it's, it's such a hyper-seasonal ingredient and it gets celebrated in such a nice way. I really wish that like a lot of other things were celebrated in the same fashion because come like late spring and asparagus is in season that's all people eat that's all restaurants offer I mean not all but everybody has it all and everybody's excited for it and you eat it in such a simple way yeah you know boiled with a few more things and that's it you know like, yeah. it, it doesn't need much it gets poached a little bit you eat it with some new potatoes maybe some clarified butter maybe some poached ham on the side and uh, hollandaise hollandaise very common yeah something like that out of the skin of the asparagus the skin is very very fragrant so often with the skin you make a broth an asparagus broth and then with the offcuts of the asparagus you make an asparagus cream soup and um, it's just super tasty and and i love this like simple ingredient driven cooking you know you mentioned Eckhart Witzigmann yeah for me he's one of the most relevant chefs not not only in Germany but in Europe I think that this is someone who was really ahead of its time if you take old cookbooks and you look uh, at what he was doing at Aubergine his restaurant in the early 90s I mean those dishes could be served today in a restaurant they, they would look kind of like uh, vintage but still it's something you could serve and they, they, they were really ahead of its time I, I, I remember also working this is a guy who has written an amazing large amount of cookbooks and, and culinary books and I remember th these are always good go-to books because uh, the recipes always worked pretty well. I also did this Kaisersmann recipe from one of his pastry books, but also many other recipes. And they would have like this, you know, this twist, this sophistication of things, uh, like techniques that you haven't seen nowhere else, but were like, Pretty French, pretty classic, but, but uncommon and, and, and just small variations. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, he he really drove it forward. And I think like what, what made him so special for me is that is exactly what you just said, is that when you look at his recipes and when you look at his dishes, they uh, 
they're built on a super solid foundation of cooking, of like traditional, you know, provincial cooking. And then adding a little bit of refinement and adding like a little bit of a twist. And I think that's what made it really, really good. And also he really celebrated like his heritage and where he was from. And and yeah, he uh, he made it really enjoyable. Yeah, or also taking you know recipes that uh, in its traditional versions you will find like super overcooked or stewed like deer or venison of these kind of things, and he would serve it just cooked to perfection, you know, red on the core, these kind of things, early 90s without sous vide techniques or anything, or just making like a, a venison tartare, you know, like just like that. Taking like, like super German flavors and ingredients and just twisting and making something new and more refined out of it. Yeah, I love that guy. What other German chefs are there? Schubeck, he's like this famous TV chef with traditional German recipes. I'm not such a big fan of him. I just wanted to mention him because, you know, he's going to jail for tax evasion. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I mean, he had it coming, no? <laughs> he did. Come on, everybody knew. I mean, I think I like Hans Haas, who's actually also Austrian. He was the head chef in Tantris together with Eckhard Witz for a huge amount of years. Like, I don't want to lie, but I think it was at least 20 years that he was head chef there. And he's an icon. Yeah, yeah. I really I really like him uh, as well. Yeah. Well, like, Wittigman was head chef there before him, and then he was chef afterwards, like, for 20 years, something like that, right? Exactly, yeah. Then I, I really like Harald Wohlfahrt, who used to be the head chef at Traube Tonbach. It, for a long time, it was one of the biggest three Michelin star chef restaurants in the country that also cooked very, very classic. Yeah, and probably the chef with the longest time holding three stars yeah. from the all that we've mentioned. The guy probably had like it for how long? Like 20 years, something like that. Yeah. 20, 30 years. Yeah, for me, those are the biggest names. Like if we were talking about like classical, yeah, Dieter Müller could also be on that list. But uh, for me, Bitsigman is the, the greatest. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially talking about, you know, there's other like great chefs that do like very modern sort of things with their own identities. But yeah, Bitsigman is definitely with by far the, the OG. Yeah, he, he's really someone because everybody built on his work like he he traveled to france in the 70s and came back at tantris and and while he was head chef there he started doing the this <laughs> renewal of german cuisine that, that holds up until today i would say absolutely Absolutely. It's a shame that there's only really chefs in the like very high Michelin star end that like we can talk about because one thing that's missing in Germany is more people being comfortable in the like mid range of just cooking, you know, very solid food that's that's not avant-garde, that's not Michelin star, that's just really, really good cooked food, you know, with uh, with a very local identity. I think that's really missing. And I'm, I think there's been a resurgence of that, especially, you know, in south of Germany and in in places like Berlin, uh, there's a lot of chefs that are now much more comfortable cooking local food and putting the label of it saying like, yeah, this is German food. What's your favorite ultra traditional German restaurant in Berlin? Oof. Um, well, mine, mine is one called Ständige Vertretung uh, near Friedrichstraße. 
if it's still open, you know, like uh, with, with all this COVID thing, you never know which ones closed or and which ones survived. But yeah, this is a typical place where you will go to have your ice pine with sauerkraut and <laughs> the whole super German menu. Yeah, it's a really good one. Oh, that sounds really good. I have to check it out. I haven't been there yet. And I actually, I, I have a craving like once a month of going to like a super German place, drinking a big pint of beer. And just having the like Wirtshaus experience. <laughs> One restaurant that I really like, it is also a Michelin star restaurant, but the chef, he does really draw on his southern and Austrian roots. And that's restaurant Horvath. I wonder, I wonder just before leaving Berlin, that was uh, like my farewell dinner from Berlin. Yeah, how was it? Super nice. He was, uh, yeah, he's doing like this new alpine cooking that, yeah, that I wouldn't relate it to, to super traditional dishes, but the super traditional flavors and, yeah. and ingredients from the region. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that, I think. And he's, you know, he's really a chef's chef, I think, because he really, it's really solid cooking, you know, there's, it's no smoke and mirrors, it's no pretentiousness, everything's super refined. I mean, he's got two Michelin stars now, you know, he's playing with the big boys. Yeah. He, he had them back then as well, just just fresh. Yeah, and um, but you know, it's just like solid cooking and delicious food. And I think that's really great. Cool. I think that's another episode. That's it for this week's episode of Potluck Food Talks. If you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as Potluck Food Talks. The show airs every Monday.